Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. Mark the 8th chapter is where we're going to begin in just a moment. going to read a couple of verses there that will help to set up the things that we want to discuss and think about this evening from the Word of God. Let's all be cranking along in the Scriptures over the course of these next few minutes. Mark 8 is where that's going to begin. As you're turning there, let me take just a moment to join in the welcome from earlier. It is great to see everybody tonight, and it's just great to be able to be here today. And I really just cannot think of any place or anything that I would rather uh, be doing than being right here amidst God's people, involving ourselves in God's things, uh, as we consider even right now uh, God's holy word. So let's do that. In Mark chapter 8, I'm reading here about Jesus and the apostles. In Mark chapter 8, this is verse 14. In Mark chapter 8 and in verse 14, There the Bible says, Mark 8, 14, Now they, that's the apostles, they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And Jesus cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. This past Friday... We were very excited to get to wake up to a yard full of snow, as I'm sure that many of you had at your house as well. It was, of course, the first at least significant snowfall of the season. We were just pretty excited about that. And so as soon as we got with all of the Christmas festivities and opening the presents and getting all that stuff out of the way, Hattie and I bundled up and we ventured into the outside and we got to have the opportunity to finally break in our $3 plastic snow sled that's been sitting on the shelf for the last couple of years, haven't had a chance to use it because we were going to go sledding down the big giant hill behind our backyard. And while Hattie quite enjoyed her trip sledding down that big hill, I, on the other hand, was not so fortunate. In my misguided attempts to impress my six-year-old daughter, I decided to sled headfirst down the hill which resulted in me crashing spectacularly into that tree. I am pretty sure right now I have a broken or at least a bruised rib, which is probably nothing compared to the bruising that was done to my pride and to my ego, because there's nothing quite as humbling as having a six-year-old little girl laugh at you while you are lying in a heap of your own self-inflicted misery. But you know what? I must tell you that is not the only dumb thing that I have ever done in my life. Many of you that are members here at Lakeside and have been here for some time will remember several years ago I stuck my finger under a lawnmower while it was running. I did that. In fact, I came, I think, just a few days after having done that and preached here and had a big giant bandage on my finger. There was no good explanation for that. It was just a dumb, dumb mistake. And that's not the only dumb thing I've ever done. About 10 years ago, I was convinced I needed to buy a used car from a guy in Bath County. Despite my wife's best efforts to try to stop me from making that purchase, I purchased that car and it was an absolute lemon. Within a week, the transmission was lying in the middle of the Cumberland Parkway. It was a piece of junk. I still smart about that some 10 years later. And again, that's not the only dumb thing that I've ever done. Tiffany's got a long, long list of all the really stupid, boneheaded things that I have done. And of course, I think most of us can understand about that. We all foul up from time to time. If someone was to roll the movie reel of your life 
in everybody's life movie, there would be a number of bloopers just like this one. Yet it is also true that some of the mistakes that we make are more significant than others. There are things that, yes, we feel bad about, and a few days later or a few weeks later, we're, we're able to look back and we're able to laugh about those mistakes. But you know what? There are other mistakes that, that we don't ever laugh about. It is possible to marry the wrong person. Or what if you buy a home and the loan crunch cripples your budget for the next 30 years of your life and your finances are just spun into ruin because of that decision? Or what if someone offered you the chance to get in on the ground floor of this brand new technology, this brand new website, but you passed on it because after all, what kind of goofy company would name themselves Google only to find out several years later that it's one of the most massive profitable companies in the entire world? Sometimes we make mistakes, don't we? And as a result of those mistakes, we start using words like, if only... If only I had known. If only I had done differently. If only I hadn't passed up that job opportunity. If only I had gone to college. If only I hadn't married so soon. If only. What if? Things could be. Life would be. I would be better if it weren't for that mistake. We make mistakes and then we begin to speak the language of regret and remorse. And really that's what you're looking at here in Mark the 8th chapter. This may seem like a very obscure passage to begin with this evening. But in Mark chapter 8, those guys, the apostles, they forgot to bring bread on the boat. It was an honest and innocent mistake. But of course it wasn't a life-changing mistake. Forgetting to bring bread actually set Jesus up to be able to do some very profitable and important teaching. But you know, sometimes we do make mistakes that are much more significant than that and those mistakes, they haunt us almost like a ghost. We have trouble shaking those mistakes from our mind and they begin to control and they begin to color all that we do and essentially everything that we are. What do we do about that? What do we do to let go of those mistakes? How do we recover from those kinds of mistakes and get past them so that we can continue on with our lives? I need to be very clear this evening, and right here is where I'm going to make this very clear right here and right now. I am not this evening talking about sin. That's not the kind of mistakes I'm speaking of this evening. Sometimes we use the word mistake, and we're using it almost as a synonym for sin. This evening, though, when I talk about mistakes, I'm not talking about sin. Sin, biblically, is not something that we should just get past and just move on with our life. The Bible teaches that we ought to have regret and remorse for our sins. Because as 2 Corinthians 7 talks about, that regret and that remorse for sin, it moves us to repentance, doesn't it? That's how you get past your sins. You repent of them so that you can receive the forgiveness of God. And so this evening, if you were thinking to yourself as I began to talk here and to speak of mistakes, if you were thinking to yourself, wow, Josh is going to give us some pointers on how I can let go of all of the guilt of last night's sinning, you would be mistaken. That's not the kind of mistakes that we're talking about tonight. Because there is a difference between sins and blunders. We're talking about blunders this evening. It's not sinful to get a tattoo of your girlfriend's name on your bicep in big bright letters and then later a few years when you're broke up feel regret and remorse over that. That's not sinful. 
It's not sinful to send a reply to that Nigerian prince's email where he's asked you for your social security number and and you oblige and send him your social security number and you lose all your money and you feel regretful about that. That's not wrong. That's not sinful. This evening, that's the kind of mistakes that I'm talking about. Because the truth is, when we make those kinds of mistakes, they can paralyze us. Suddenly we are afraid to do anything now because... Well, it seems as if everything that I do, every move that I make, every decision that I make, it just seems to turn out to be foolish. And furthermore, sometimes we end up getting angry at the Lord over the mistakes that we make. You know, why didn't God prevent me from doing that? Why didn't He stop me? You know, God in the Bible did that. Reading the book of Genesis about Abimelech. God stopped him, prevented him from making a terrible mistake with Abraham's wife. Why did God do that to me? How could God allow me to do something so dumb and so boneheaded? All of those kinds of mistakes, though not sinful, they can end up affecting our walk with the Lord. We can become indecisive. We can become kind of immobilized. We're unwilling to move forward. We maybe even convince ourselves that somehow God has failed us. Which is why this evening we need to learn. We need to learn how to recover from our non-sinful mistakes that all of us make in our lives. And this evening I've got three keys right out of the Word of God that I think will help to move us in that direction so that we're not just constantly crippled by regret over the mistakes that we've made. And let's just start this evening by talking a little bit about about directions. Let me say to you, first of all, we need to understand that God does not provide for us detailed step-by-step directions and instructions for navigating our way through this life. Let me share with you what I think is just one of the greatest inventions of the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years since they've become into kind of more mainstream use, and that is these little apps that are available on many people's cell phones, Or maybe you have them built into the dash of your car vehicle. Or maybe you have a separate device, a Garmin, or one of those kinds of devices mounted in your car. It's that little button right there with the map icon. It's that GPS app. I think that is one of the coolest and greatest and most helpful apps that's ever been invented. I love this thing. I don't know how I could live my life without these things anymore. I'm just so used to these things. They're wonderful. They help us to get from one place to the next in very detailed, specific instructions. In fact, my particular app, I use Google Maps. It's got all kinds of different options. I can, I can turn on the audio and the lady's voice will tell me, go straight, turn right in 0.7 miles, take a left. I love that. Or I can actually click on it and I can then navigate and I can even pick specifically the directions and just read them step by step. I love that. Step by step. Go straight. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. Turn right. And oh, then you're at Meadowcrest Drive. That's amazing. That's wonderful. What I really like though about the GPS is when you get going and you get that big blue line. I don't know what color it might be on your GPS, but I love that blue line. It's so helpful. Sometimes I'll start looking around on the map and I'm up here looking at stuff and, oh no, where, where, where? I need to get back to the blue line. Give me that blue line. If I can just find the blue line, I'll know exactly how to get where I need to get. Clearly defined. Absolutely certain. No way you can miss it kind of path to get you to the place you need to go. 
In fact, did you hear me use the word path there? Look in Psalm 119. That's actually a biblical concept. In Psalm 119, here's a place where we sometimes hear that path kind of language. In Psalm 119, the psalmist here, as he praises the Word of God, the Bible, he says this in Psalm 119 and in verse 105. Psalm 119 verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What's that sound like to you? That sounds like to me like the psalmist is saying that the Word of God, the Bible, it's the big blue line. It's the line that we need to get from here to there, wherever we got to go. It's going to give us the instructions detailed and specific. That way we just get our foot on that path and we don't have any worries. There's no doubts, there's no questions. I'm going to get to exactly where I need to go. And I wonder how many people today believe that and think that about the Bible. That Christianity and the Bible is here to provide you that big blue line to get you exactly where you need to be, where you'll always do the right thing, you'll never run into roadblocks, it's never going to take you in the wrong direction, it's always going to get you exactly where you need to go. You'll hear sometimes folks say in religious circles, they'll say things like, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Sometimes we even say, I, the preacher, even say that the Bible, the Bible is our roadmap from earth to heaven. And I'm afraid that what happens is a lot of people kind of add all that up in their mind and what they come away with thinking is is that Christianity then will, was just a cinch. You become a Christian and then God places your foot right there on the big blue line and He'll take you exactly where you need to go all of the time. Well, that's a wonderful and very comforting idea. But it doesn't actually work out like that, does it? The Bible, I want to be clear, the Bible certainly is our map from earth to heaven in that it teaches us how to be saved. It teaches us how to avoid sin. It teaches us how to grow to be like Christ. But unless your Bible reads really differently than mine, I found that the Bible is actually very thin on the specific details of day-to-day living and what specific road we need to be taking right here, right now, from hour to hour, from minute to minute with every little thing that we encounter. I don't know about your Bible, but my Bible does not have a verse that says, Verily, verily, thou shalt not go sledding headfirst down the hill, lest thy child mocketh thee. My Bible doesn't have that verse. I wish my Bible had that verse. It would have been really helpful on Friday. But that's not found in the Word of God, is it? The Bible does not contain that kind of specific day-to-day, minute-to-minute direction. And in that sense, the Bible is not really a GPS app. Look with me in Acts 16. In Acts the 16th chapter, we're reading here about the Apostle Paul. And in some ways, this actually is a level beyond what you and I know because God actually does directly communicate with Paul. Paul is being led by the Holy Spirit. He's got a direct line with the Lord. The Lord's telling him where he needs to go. Paul isn't having to search the Scriptures to figure everything out. No, God actually is just telling him the things that he needs to know. But watch how this plays out in Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 6. In Acts 6, we're talking here about Paul, and he's got Silas with him and Timothy with him. Paul says, Acts 16, verse 6, it says that they wanted to go through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And so, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. 
And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, if you were to kind of chart all of that out on a map, what you would see is you'd see an awful lot of, Oh, hey, let's go over here. Oh, nope, can't go over there. Lord's not letting us. Oh, well, how about we go down this way? And oh, 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 Spirit's forbidden us. Can't go in that direction. Hey, I think we ought to go in this direction. Well, Jesus said we can't go over there. It's just kind of all over the place. You'd have squiggles going everywhere until finally the Lord makes it known through this vision that they need to make their way to Macedonia. And so here's Paul, a guy who is actually a Spirit-inspired apostle. Even for that guy, there was no big blue line in which he knew exactly where to go every second of every day. In fact, if you read carefully throughout Paul's life, what you'll find is that Paul oftentimes doesn't have a clue where the big blue line is. And he's certainly many times not walking on that big blue line. Because all the time Paul is saying, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know what's going to become of me. I know what I want. I know that I want to go here. I know that I want to visit brethren over here. I know that I want to be of use of service in the gospel in this place and in that place. But I just don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Just like you and I. Just like you and I. We don't always know. And sometimes when life presents those tough choices about go this direction or go that direction and we make a decision and it ends up being a mistake, what happens is, is we sometimes end up feeling like, I just blew it. I did, I blew it. I, di I didn't do what God wanted me to do. We feel like we've got to find that path. The Lord, surely He's put that path in there somewhere. God, just help me locate it and know exactly what to do in this decision or in that decision. God, are you holding that information out on us? We're looking for some absolute certainty in every next step. We want to put our foot down and we want to see that big blue line, don't we? We want to find that line. And when it isn't there, we start second guessing. Maybe, maybe I'm off course. Maybe I just missed it. Maybe I have blown it. And since I can't look down and see that perfectly illuminated path, I, I think I'll just stay where I'm at right now. Maybe I just shouldn't even take any more steps. I'm going to say this one more time. The Bible never promises to provide day-to-day, moment-to-moment detailed instructions on what to do so as always to be guaranteed to get a good result. The Bible doesn't promise that. God doesn't promise that. Somebody would maybe ask then, well, why not? Why doesn't God just give us that? Wouldn't that be great? Why didn't God just lay it out for us? You know, if God cares about us and He loves us, why does He let us make such boneheaded, dumb mistakes in our lives? You know, as a parent, you'd think you'd care for your child. You'd want to try to remove obstacles from their way. You want to help them to be able to enjoy life to the fullest and get the greatest benefit out of it. Why didn't God give us that detailed set of instructions? And without question, there are some instructions like that in the Bible. I want to be clear. For example, the book of Proverbs is just filled with wonderful ideas and principles that really show us how we can live in the best possible way while we're here on this earth. But you know, even in the book of Proverbs, with all of its marvelous, marvelously pointed sayings, Proverbs doesn't address all of life's issues. Go to college or just go get a job. Does Proverbs have a direct answer for that? 
get married now or get married later? Or maybe not get married at all? Where's the answer to that in Proverbs? Have kids now or wait a few years and then have kids later or don't even have kids at all? Where's the answer for that in Proverbs? I mean, since the Lord knows what would be best for us, why doesn't He just go ahead and tell us that information? Well, I'm going to suggest to you this evening that maybe it really wouldn't be best for God to just tell us all of that. Because I'm going to suggest to you secondly this evening that God, God is more interested in developing our character. And many times God does that through the mistakes that we make. God realizes, whether we realize it or not, and whether we want to admit it or not, God realizes that nothing develops character quite like hardship, adversity, trials, troubles, taking the wrong road only to find that we are at a dead end and now we've got to turn it around and we've got to humble ourselves in order to find our way back. God recognizes that that's actually what brings about the greatest growth in our lives. Those are the times in our lives when we learn things like like courage and we learn perseverance and we develop strength and we really learn how to pray. And we are able to develop and build our faith in a big way. But those kinds of things would never be developed if God just laid it all out for us. Step one, take this job. Step two, marry this person. Step three, have kids now. If God just laid all that out for us, I mean, what would we ever develop? How do you grow into anything if God just lays everything out? How would you grow into anything except maybe just a mindless robot? Mistakes. The very things that cause us to look back on our lives with regret and remorse, those are the very things that God uses to make us better. You want a great illustration of that in the Bible? Look in the book of Genesis with me. In Genesis 37, I went over this with the kids in the Bible drill this evening. In Genesis chapter 37, we're talking here about Joseph. In Genesis 37, we're told very early on that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. And even without reading another verse, if all you knew was that information, that Joseph was the favored son of Jacob, you could just probably pretty well guess how that's going to cause some problems in Joseph's life. Like, for example, in Genesis 37. Here's some of the problems it causes. In Genesis 37, look in verse 3. Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Verse 5. Now Joseph one day had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and it stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and he told it to his brothers and he said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars, they were all bowing down to me. Let me just ask you right here. Was it sinful for Joseph to tell his dreams to his brothers? 
Somebody might say, well, I don't know, you maybe could read that and sense kind of a hint of, of arrogance or maybe a little bit of pride, depending on how you read that. But I, I'm going to tell you this evening that I, I don't think it was sinful for Joseph to just tell these dreams to his brothers. But was it wise? Was it really the wise thing to do? I think probably not. I don't think it was very wise at all. And I wonder sometimes, as you keep on reading in the Joseph story, I wonder sometimes as maybe as Joseph was in that caravan being bounced down to Egypt, I wonder as he was bound for slavery, I wonder how many times Joseph maybe had long thoughts of great regret for how he had acted in front of his brothers. You know, if, if only I'd kept my mouth shut. Why, why did I even say anything about that? Why, why did I tell them? I, you know, I, I messed up the first time and told them. Why did I go to them and tell them the second time about those dreams? Why I, it's so dumb. If only I had thought about how they would feel about that. If only I had noticed how I was already being alienated by them. Man, I could have been home in Canaan. What if God, though, had given Joseph specific directions? What if God had said to Joseph, Hey, Joseph, shut up. Shut your mouth. Don't say anything about these dreams to your brothers. Keep that to yourself. What would have happened then? Well, maybe, maybe Joseph would have never wound up in Egypt during a time of famine, a time when he really needed to be there. And even more so, Joseph, when he gets to Egypt, maybe he never would have been a changed man. Look in Genesis 41 now. In Genesis 41, the next time that we encounter Joseph and he's wanting to talk a little bit about dreams, Genesis 41 is standing before Pharaoh. And he wants to tell Pharaoh about his dreams. In Genesis 41, look in verse 15. Genesis 41 verse 15, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not in me, but God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Wow, that's, that's not the same Joseph from a few years earlier who was spouting off his dreams to his brothers, is it? This is a different guy now. You'll see that again, drop on down to verse 25. In verse 25 of the same chapter, after Joseph has got done explaining that dream, notice what he says to Pharaoh there. Verse 25, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The great thing about Joseph here is that this long road of struggle and despair where Joseph, he made some mistakes, mistakes that I am certain he regretted deeply, it all ends here with Joseph having learned something. Instead of him being crippled or being destroyed by his mistakes, Joseph is actually better because of those mistakes. He recognizes God is at work here. He's able to start to see God's great plan. Look at the book of Proverbs. To jump out of Genesis now in Proverbs 16. In Proverbs 16, this is actually one of the most, I think one of the most important of all the wise sayings in Proverbs. Notice what's said in Proverbs 16 and in verse 9. In Proverbs 16 and verse 9, Solomon says this. He says, The heart of a man plans his way but the Lord establishes His steps. I want to say to you this evening, from that passage and many others, that God is at work in and through our lives. And verses like Proverbs 16 verse 9 attest to the fact that God is doing amazing and wonderful things in and through us 
Even when we don't always recognize it. But you know what Proverbs 16 verse 9 also says? Is it says that we can plan and we can plan and we can plan all that we want. And we can be careful all that we want. And we can take every precaution that we can. We can try to arrange everything in our lives just so. But at the end of the day, God is still going to do what God is going to do. He is the one who opens doors and closes others. He is the deciding factor in all of the universe. His will is going to be done. He is sovereign. He is the Lord. And so what that means is is that means I can try my best to be insulated from every single problem and every single trouble so that I never ever make another mistake again in my life. But if God sees that I need some things to develop my character, then guess what? God's going to allow those mistakes to occur. And sometimes it may not just be about developing my own personal character. Sometimes it's about how God needs us maybe in another place, in another physical location, or amongst other people. And so just like Joseph, who was needed in Egypt at that time of the famine... God may make make it so that we're going to be someplace else so that we can be there, so that we can assist others, maybe develop somebody else's character. And so just because we maybe think we've got it all mapped out and we know exactly what we're going to do, if God needs us in another place, guess what? He will pick us up in His own way and He will put us in that place. And so that brash 19-year-old boy who was just so certain that he was going to be a published author and a professor of English in some university somewhere, is now standing before you as a preacher of the gospel. God is sovereign. He rules. He knows what He needs. And He knows what He needs done, which means that He will use even our mistakes to draw us closer to Him and accomplish His will. And maybe the important thing here for us, the practical takeaway for us in this, is that means that we need to be learning from our mistakes, don't we? That's the key in Joseph's life, isn't it? He learned from his mistakes. Think about it. What if Joseph had been standing in front of Pharaoh that day in Genesis 41? And he said, Pharaoh, buddy, come on. How is it that you don't understand these dreams? I mean, come on. I, you told it to me the first time and I got it immediately. What's wrong with you Egyptian folks? Y'all been standing out here in the hot sun. It's fried your brain or something. You guys just need to get with it. What's with it, you dummy? That's not how Joseph acts, is it? Because through Joseph's mistakes over time, he learned humility. He learned dependence upon God, that God would help give him the information that Pharaoh needed. And you and I, we can learn and we can grow from our past blunders as well. But that means we got to pay attention. We need to have our eyes opened. We need to realize whenever it is that, hey, I'm doing something really foolish right now. I need to not be doing this. We need to see how it is in the aftermath. We can then profit from those goof-ups. Hey, what valuable lesson did I learn from that? I learned a valuable lesson about sledding down hills the other day. And I'm going to use that information in all future dealings with sleds. You know, all that some people ever learn from their mistakes is is how to blame others. Well, you know, that never would have happened if it wasn't for this. I, I never would have did that if it hadn't been for that guy. If my mom and dad hadn't done this. If that guy over there hadn't gotten the way, this never would have occurred. Are you still there in Proverbs? Look in chapter 26. In Proverbs 26, look in verse 11. 
In Proverbs 26 and verse 11, like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. I don't know about you, but I, I don't want that verse to be descriptive of me. I don't want to repeatedly keep doing dumb things. I want to exercise some of that common sense that God has given to me. Why? So that I can do better. I want to let God work in me to develop my character so that I am not paralyzed and immobilized by regret, but instead, thirdly, what I want to be able to do is I want to be able to move forward in trust and faith in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, this might very well be the verse of the evening. In 2 Corinthians 5, Paul talks here about, about difficulties. And particularly in this context, he's, he's actually talking about death and how we don't always understand why that happens and why certain folks have to be taken away from us. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse... Actually, let's go up and grab verse 6. He says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Verse 7 now. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, when we buy into the myth that somehow life has been directed in such a way that, yeah, there's the big blue line that we can just follow it and we get the GPS directions. And furthermore, whenever we fail to see how we can learn from some of our mistakes and God can use those to develop some much-needed character, what happens is, is we end up living in fear and our life gets all gommed up in the present and we end up being constantly haunted by the errors of the past. Have you ever seen that happen before in sports? This happens a lot like in, in kids' sports, but I've even seen it happen in some major league sports. See this happen like on the baseball field, for example. A guy, maybe a shortstop or a second baseman, he makes a fielding error. And man, he's just oh, he's so mad at himself. After he misses that ground ball, he's pounding his glove and he's you know, talking to himself and really giving himself a hard time. Then the next batter gets up and the ball gets hit right in his direction again. And what happens? He misses that one too. Goes right by him. Why? Because he's still thinking about that first mistake. Now he's really, really mad. And he is. He's just he's talking to himself and he's just giving himself the hardest time. And so he's, all right, I've got a super focus here. I can't make any more errors. I mean, come on, it's two in a row. I've got to get this next one. Next guy gets up, ball comes toward him and goes right between his legs. Why? Because he's just so frozen with the thoughts of the mistakes that he's made. The errors of the past keep haunting him, keep getting in the way of the present. And that's why we got to ditch the big blue line mentality. I need to find the big blue line and I'll know exactly where to go. And that's why we do need to see how God is able to weave our past mistakes into something good. Because when we do that, that then frees us to be able to move forward, and we can move forward walking in faith. Instead of always looking in the rearview mirror, dwelling on the couldas and the wouldas and the shouldas of the past, I can confidently move forward because I'm trusting God that through Him He's going to cause all things to work together for good in the end. You know, just the very concept of faith, it changes us. It changes how I view the past. It changes how I view and think about the future. You know, when we're all uptight and wrought up about every single mistake that we make, we can convince ourselves that everything that's going to happen in the future, well, well, that's totally dependent on me. 
You know, if I don't get into the right school, I've got to meet the right person. If I don't find the right job, if I don't make the exact right decision about this particular fork in the road moment in my life, do you hear the operative word and all that? I, I, I. Me, me, me. I, I, I. It's all about me. The pressure's on me. How's any of that walking by faith? What all that sounds like to me is a lot of walking by sight. But when we walk by faith, we can let God work some of those details out. We're just going to be the people who are just going to do the best that we can do. We're going to exercise that common sense that God's given us. We're going to try to walk as best we can according to His will, doing the right thing. We're going to try our best to avoid mistakes. It's not like we're going to just go purposely just blundering right into mistakes. No, we're not going to be those people. But even if we do fall into a mistake, we're going to be the people who are confident knowing that God can use those very same blunders to accomplish greater purposes. And somehow when you think about life in that way, that just kind of takes a lot of pressure off of us, doesn't it? That takes a lot of pressure off of me. That puts a lot on the Lord. In fact, somebody's maybe thinking right now, man, that does put an awful lot on the Lord. Josh, you're just putting way too much on the back of God there. Relax. God's plenty big enough to take care of that. He's plenty big enough to make sense of the jumbled messes that we can make in our lives. Your mess, however big it is, it isn't any bigger than God's ability to clean it up. You just look at a guy like, like Saul of Tarsus. You know, that guy was grade A catastrophe material. God was able to work in his life and fix all of it. When we live by faith, we have a conviction that God in His time and in His way is going to be able to direct our steps toward Him. Now, before we close, let me make just a couple of quick, very pointed applications of these ideas this evening. Don't go grabbing your songbook or putting all your stuff away or checking out of the lesson just yet. You'll, you'll regret that. That'll be a mistake. Uh, first of all, let me say a word to, to parents. This is something that has just increasingly been on my mind in recent years since becoming a parent. It seems as if there is no group of people who maybe falls more prey to that first point. We fall prey to this myth of the big blue line, i got to figure it out exactly right when it comes to raising my kids. Because we are just sure, and in fact many of our friends and our society tells us, that there is one right way to raise your kids. And if you don't do it exactly that one right way, then well, your kids are going to grow up and be, I don't know, devil worshippers. You know, if you don't get them into the exact right preschool, if you don't have them the exact right birthday party with the exact right invitation sent out, if you don't let them watch TV or if you let them watch too much TV, if you don't do this, if you do do that, we're just always second-guessing ourselves. I am guilty of that. I think Tiffany would probably confess that. We're really bad about that. What's the exact right thing to do? Because the last thing that we want is for our kids to grow up and to not serve the Lord. That's certainly not to say that parenting isn't an enormous responsibility. As moms and dads, we do need to take that job seriously. But moms and dads, what we need here is we need a big heavy dose of point number three. We need to trust God more. Secondly, let me say to young people, young people, I'm going to make that same admonition to you. You're on the cusp, many of you, 
on some really big things in your life. Got some that are on the cusp of getting ready to graduate from high school and some big things on the horizon with college. There are some who are close to making decisions about who they're going to get married to and the decisions that go along with that. Some are making important decisions about careers and about jobs and things of that nature. You're right at that point in time when you are ripe for making some really big blunders, the kind that maybe you will regret for years and years later. Maybe what you need to take from this lesson is that what is most important in this life is not figuring out exactly what major do I need to major in in college. Maybe what you need to take from this lesson is to trust God more. In fact, to do that now in the days of your youth. And then thirdly and finally this evening, there are probably some here this evening who are in that category of having made just some really, really big, just dumb decisions in life. And it just seems like there's just been an accumulation of them. And maybe it's just wrecked you in a number of ways. I should have finished college. I never should have invested my money in that. I shouldn't have ever even gotten married. Can you see this evening that what is most important is not what happened in the past? What's most important is what have you learned from those mistakes of the past that has caused you to draw closer to the God who loves you and who will direct your steps if if you will walk by faith. Now I'll say once again, none of this is to imply that we shouldn't try our best. I hope nobody goes home this evening and thinks, hey, Josh made it sound like we can just commit mistakes willy-nilly and don't ever have to worry about that. No. No. The God that we serve, He is worthy of the very best that we can give Him in our lives. And we should know that sometimes even harmless blunders that are of the sinless nature, sometimes those can lead to mistakes and blunders that are of a sinful nature. And so we always want to be very careful about that. But this evening, if as a result of this lesson, if maybe you're a little less uptight about every single decision and every single choice of every single second of every single day, or if as a result of this lesson tonight you are compelled to develop greater and deeper faith in the sovereign God of heaven, then I believe this lesson will have served its purpose precisely in helping us, in helping us to win the war with regret and to be able to recover from those mistakes that we make. Now if you're using a songbook, you can be grabbing it and turning it to the song that's been selected. We're going to sing that song as a song of encouragement, a song of invitation, number 273, I'm not ashamed to own my Lord. And that is what we would hope this evening is that you would not be ashamed to own Jesus as your Lord, to put Him on in baptism, and to begin serving Him with all of your heart, your mind, and your soul, and your strength. I'll tell you this. There are very few things in life that you can just say unequivocally, man, that was exactly the right decision. There was no questions about that, no doubts about that, no second thoughts about that. There's very few things like that that you can say that about. And you know what? Becoming a Christian, it's one of those things. It's the kind of thing that when you come up out of the water and you leave this place a child of God, 
You're never going to look back on that and think, oh, well, that was a mistake. Boy, I really regretted doing that. No. You will look back on that moment, this evening, as being one of the greatest, the greatest decision that you have ever made in your life. Can we help somebody tonight to make that important step a reality? If you are a Christian, but brother or sister, it may be that you've made some of those mistakes, and now I am talking about mistakes of the sinful kind, and you've not been serving Jesus as you ought, then you need to correct that. The Lord has been patient and kind with you down to this present moment. Hopefully you've learned something from whatever it is that you've done wrong, but right now is about a time of repenting and seeking God's forgiveness. If we can pray with you, if we can help you, encourage you, just lift you up so that you can serve the Lord in a better way, we want to be available to do that. Whatever your need may be this evening, you simply need to come to the front and make that known. Do that while we stand and while we sing.